Welcome to the Inclusive Mental Health Podcast, Crossroads in Therapy by Belong. In this podcast, we will put therapy under a magnifying glass and enkindle the spirit of intersectional mental health. In each episode, we talk to experts with adequate professional and personal experiences in tackling mental health challenges faced by marginalized communities. The title for today's episode is Finding Place for Asexual and Hypersexual Bodies. Asexual as well as hypersexual people experience significant barriers to good mental health as well as barriers to accessing appropriate person-centered mental health care. Persons who identify or experience asexuality or hypersexuality most often languish in the shadows of continued pathologization of their sexuality, pervasive lack of awareness about their bodies, discriminatory attitudes, stigma and relative social invisibility. In this episode we talk to Swarnima Bhargava who has been practicing as a mental health professional since 2011. She extensively works with young adults and couples. Her work is informed by narrative therapy and solution focused therapy. Currently she also works as an assistant professor at TIS Mumbai. Stay tuned as we talk about mental health challenges faced by the clients who identify as asexual and hypersexual, usually ignored by the mainstream mental health discourse in india and also contemplate possible ways to affirm their experiences in a therapeutic setting swarnima welcome to our episode swarnima your work is informed by narrative therapy and solution focused therapy can you help us understand how these tools and techniques help you provide personalized solutions to persons from diverse marginalized groups thank you for that question saransh So narrative therapy as a model of therapy doesn't have a lot of emphasis on tools and techniques as such it focuses more on the philosophy and the philosophy that narrative therapy arises from emphasizes social justice as well as awareness of social context and conditions under which distress or problems arise so there is a lot of emphasis in narrative therapy about paying attention to the context within which something becomes a problem for somebody and trying to move from that problem identity to a more preferred identity or to a way that the person would like to be seen and be known so this way of thinking and i think also deconstruction as a method from uh, narrative therapy are very powerful in working with clients who experience marginalization oppression in society to position yourself as a therapist to not replicate what is normal quote unquote in society but to also take a position of respectful curiosity and explore you know what is the meaning that sexuality for example holds for this person right swarnima you have also been providing therapeutic services for almost a decade how has your idea of inclusion within the scope of mental health changed over time i think when i was a student in college i remember that we did not have any focus or emphasis or discussions in class about working with diversity even i remember that one of our teachers when we were talking about disorders and sexuality had sort of just said you know you guys read the chapter on your own and given us a free class for the day to i think now 10 years later when i'm also teaching master students there's a huge shift in what students are bringing into the classroom right now whether it's talking about aspects of their own identity whether it's talking about 
caste, religion, sexuality, orientation, whether it's asking questions around these topics. I think there is a huge shift and recognition that mental health is not in isolation to of society and the people that we're working with. And it's not a purely scientific endeavor. It is very much a social, relational, cultural, political enterprise. And I think that's a huge shift I'm seeing in terms of the questions that are coming up, in terms of the research that's being produced, in terms of what clients are bringing in, what students are bringing in. So I think there's a huge shift from 10 years ago to today. Yeah, I think there's also a huge difference when it comes to gradually opening up to the idea of inclusion and diversity, which wasn't the case almost a decade ago. So Swarnima, according to you, how has that played out in your practice? I think this is a really important consideration that we need to maybe keep in mind about who is the knowledge producer and who's the knowledge consumer and how those identities come to play. So most of the knowledge that's been constructed in psychology or therapy has been written in not produced in India. Most of the knowledge that we have access to and we use has been made in the European or the US context. And that too has been produced by the white community, the white male community, which is belonging to a certain group of maybe literate upper middle class people. So keeping that context in mind of where knowledge is coming from, I think is really important in the way we apply it to our context or to our practice. A lot of times, I think in mental health, we talk about you know client-centered practice or client-directed practice. But that's something that, again, needs to be adapted to the context in India. So a lot of literature will support how client-oriented practice is what's important and client and the therapist are equal. But at the same time, there are a lot of people in India who are not comfortable having that kind of a relationship with their mental health provider, where they are more comfortable with having a relationship with their therapist or their psychiatrist, where they position them as the expert. And within that power dynamic, they are comfortable participating and receiving therapy. So being aware of maybe context and being aware of what works and what doesn't work for whom, I think those are really important considerations as we adapt things that we know from text into practice. Yes. And also you have mentioned before that how narrative practices or narrative therapy has opened up that space for exploring non-normative identities. So can you tell us a little bit about how narrative practices are inbuilt more inclusive or more you know, diversity-centric? So narrative practices draws from social constructionism and also from the work of philosophers like uh, Foucault, which talk about power in society. So when we talk about normal or normative and non-normative, I think asking questions like how is normative defined and who does it include and who does it leave out and who's doing the definition. So what are the underlying operations of power when we are considering something normal or something abnormal? I think asking those kind of questions can become very powerful so that we as mental health professionals do not also replicate you know, marginalizing practices that might be happening outside the space. And I think deconstruction or, again, asking where do these ideas come from? 
So if I have a particular idea that maybe homosexuality is abnormal. So asking questions like, why do I think it's abnormal? Or where does this idea come from? How did I learn about this? Or if I think that this is abnormal, how does it impact the way I practice with clients? How does it impact the positions I take? Having this idea, this thought, does it allow me to practice in other ways? Like, does it allow me to be respectful? Does it allow me to learn from clients? Does it allow me to create an atmosphere of emotional safety in my work? So these kinds of questions and considerations, I think, can be really powerful in therapy which narrative therapy allows you to have the questions for to do this kind of exploration. Mm, Yeah, thank you for sharing that. It's very important to understand these practices and also the importance of these practices, especially during these turbulent times. So Anima, asexual as well as hypersexual bodies are looked at from a pathological lens in majority of the mental health spaces. According to you, what has contributed to this pathologization? Homosexuality challenges the idea of heteronormative relationships, but asexuality, I'm going to speak mostly from the perspective of asexuality because that's something that I've worked with and seen in my practice. I think that challenges the very idea of people as sexual beings or it challenges the idea that you know human relationships are formed based on sexual intimacy or partnership is fueled by sexual intimacy and I think asexuality challenges a lot of these beliefs which are socially held and which are also a part of our academic theorizing in terms of what family looks like or what couplehood looks like or relationships look like. So I think that asexuality as an idea challenges a lot of things which we rely on in day-to-day ideas or discourse. And clients who identify as asexual, I think also face a lot of challenge in therapy because our training does not allow us to look at asexuality as an orientation or an identity in its right. But encourages us to look at it as something that might be an indication of maybe childhood trauma or sexual trauma or that may be an indication of something biological going wrong. So I think that's a lot of unlearning to be done as a therapist that out of say 10 people who identify as asexual, all of them may not have experiences of trauma or abuse or violence. And even if they do, it may not directly lead, you know, it may not be a causal factor for embracing this identity so I think these are things that it's really important to keep in mind that if somebody is identifying as asexual what is the purpose of that identity serving for them how does it help them to define themselves how does it help them to access community how does it help them to make sense of their experience by attaching that identity to themselves I think those are really important considerations yes and I also do think Swarnima that certain mental health practices or certain theories actually center a lot of their theorization on sexuality. However, Mm. they do miss out on the experiences of bodies in the therapy room, right? So, I mean, I'm not sure whether I'm able to articulate this correctly, but do you think that there's a huge need to affirm bodies rather than affirm theories in the therapy room? 
I think that's really well put, Saranj, because even if I think about my experience as a researcher, I think the whole idea of being a body-mind or a mind-body or of embodied cognition is so important because often in research or the way that knowledge is linked is very in the context of one mind talking to another mind. And even if we look at context in terms of, say, social context or cultural context or age or gender or geography, we often miss out the body in such conversations. And in therapy also, we are not trained to think of ourselves as embodied therapists who are working with clients who inhabit a body. So I think definitely there's a lot more that needs to be done to welcome bodies and minds together in therapy. Yeah, yeah. And in your experience, what are some of the mental health challenges faced by persons who identify as asexual in a country like India? I think the first thing might be how to arrive at this term or how to arrive at at an identification that makes sense. A lot of clients come by this definition through looking up terms online, looking at social media. And a lot of the other narratives around this term about what it means to be asexual are not from an Indian author and are not directed at an Indian audience. So I think finding representation of what it means to be an asexual Indian, I think, are missing. And then there is this idea about, I think, in general, there is a lot of stigma about seeking help from a mental health professional. And I think that also gets compounded in this situation where you feel like, is there something wrong with me? And if so, do I need to go to a doctor? Do I need to go to a psychiatrist, a mental health professional? There's no clear idea about who I can go to. And I think, again, because sex and sexuality is something that we do not perhaps know how to talk about in respectful ways, so a lot of these conversations growing up may be happening between peers, but there may be few spaces where these conversations about sexuality are happening with a safe adult, like a parent or a teacher or a school counselor or a grandparent. I think those, we don't know how to talk to children maybe about sex and sexuality. So I think those ideas that children then develop or have as young adults are also informed by social media to quite an extent. And again, like I mentioned, that training does not equip you to adequately address the needs of clients who identify as asexual or hypersexual or polyamorous. I think the training that we receive and the supervision that we receive as mental health professionals has not adequately looked at the needs of this community. So often when therapists are practicing, they're practicing through what they have learned, which may be not relevant for all clients. Also, professional supervision is something that is not well established in India. So for young therapists who are beginning their practice, finding a supervisor may be quite challenging. And again, their supervisor may be trained in ways of practicing which may not be relevant to today's context. I also think that there is a huge fear of getting it wrong. I think maybe sometimes there's a binary that people operate in that either I'm a, you know, quote unquote, woke therapist or I'm not. And I think that that puts a lot of pressure on people to either establish themselves as experts about working with queer communities or it leaves people feeling extremely uncertain. 
so they you know may make choices not to work with this community at all or they may not know how to skill themselves up to work with this community yeah and also you have pointed out swarnima that how not just the clients the mental health professionals also refer to theories based in the west mm. do you think that because of this lack of knowledge which is based in the context of india people are not able to find some sort of anchor within the therapy room not just the clients but the mental health professionals as well you know while talking right now i just realized that the clients who i have worked with have been english speaking and have used the term asexuality or pre-sexuality but i also now wonder how this conversation might happen with somebody who was maybe you know a hindi speaking client i do not know what the correct vocabulary might be to hold this conversation in a respectful way with somebody outside of english because english is the language that i have understood these ideas in so i think you know just right there is maybe the first big barrier that these ideas even if they are reaching clients in india are they only reaching maybe urban privileged english speaking clients and excluding clients who do not fit into this space yeah yeah there has also been a dearth of research on non normative sexualities around the globe do you think that the wider mental health community as well as the research community oftentimes ignore the healthcare needs of persons from marginalized communities i don't know if it would be ignoring i think a part of it could be because there is no exposure to individuals who identify outside the cis hetero segment so maybe researchers or academics do not come into contact with these communities which are often out in the field again i think ethics and competence would play an important part that in order to design a research study do i have access to this community and do i have the competence and the skills to have meaningful research a lot of my clients also tell me that sometimes when they get forwarded a survey that somebody is doing research it feels quite disrespectful because it's like okay i want to talk to you because you identify as queer and i just want to know what your queer experiences are so this kind of research also sometimes can make people feel a little bit exploited as knowledge givers because maybe there's nothing coming back to the community from research that okay if i have shared my ideas with you how is it supposed to help me or what is the you know benefit to the community of this research work so something to keep in mind that again do we have the skills and the training to be able to carry out meaningful research or is the research that we're carrying out exploitative and maybe tick box and who's designing those questions and why and if they're not designing those questions then i also think that maybe the fear of getting it wrong is something that at least with students i see that the fear of getting it wrong or the fear of maybe being insensitive or re-traumatizing can sometimes hold back on engagement or curiosity because you don't want to engage with somebody where it's causing harm even un- unintentionally mm. very important points that you have underlined here you have 
been an educator for some time as well i wish to ask you how does the question of sexuality especially asexuality plays out in a background where talking about sex is a taboo topic so when we are able to describe ourselves as either gay lesbian queer we are able to use some sort of reference point but mm. because there are no role models especially in india for individuals who identify as asexuals it's very difficult to pinpoint what is different about us right how do you think that plays out in the lives of people who either identify as hypersexual or asexual three things are coming to my mind the first thing would be that maybe again there's been an association of sexuality being linked with maybe emotional distress or being linked with problems that if somebody identifies as asexual or homosexual that that is the source of their problems whatever the problem might be that they've come to therapy for whether it's you know depression anxiety or something else i think that causal link is something which can be very stigmatizing and harmful in therapy so it's i think very important to not make that straight line but to explore how does this emotional distress come up in the context of this orientation or identity i uh, think the second thing would be that when we're teaching i think again from the time when i was a student the examples that we would have in class would be again very cis het mono married family examples that we would have conversations about and if we were sort of looking at maybe queer experiences then we would have examples from that community coming up but in everyday classes like if you were looking at maybe like practicing skills of counseling then we won't have examples from this community coming up so again a part of the normalizing or familiarizing students who would be mental health professionals in two years would be to give examples from range of clients who come to therapy so that we do not associate one stereotype of who a client is in mental health or we don't make assumptions that this person who's coming to see us is allosexual is heterosexual is cisgendered so we break away from those the third point i think that i had was about knowledge creation and maybe community building i think this is one thing that narrative therapy does really beautifully which is the idea of documentation or shared knowledge or collective wisdom where a community of people can share their experiences on a maybe like a google sheet for example to just be able to document what their experiences have been like so for example if there are young people in india who are asexual and are going for therapy if they would want to share a couple of points about their experience on a google sheet which could be an indian document of what it means to be a young person who identifies as asexual and who's going for therapy or to be a young person in india or a person in india who identifies as asexual and is in a you know romantic relationship so creating knowledge which is from us which is from here i think that can be a really important contribution i yeah i do agree with that we now move to a section which i call reimagining inclusive therapy practices where we contemplate about possible solutions can you share with us certain 
tips that mental health professionals must keep in mind while engaging with clients who identify as asexual or hypersexual for that matter i think the first thing would be for therapists to engage with their own ideas of sexuality and sort of do some reflection about what do i know about sex and sexuality and how did i learn about this was it through popular culture was it through movies stories watching people adults around me then maybe also exploring how helpful or not helpful those ideas have been in making sense of maybe my sexuality my relationships today or those of the people i come into contact with or even how do those ideas come up in therapy so if i ask somebody a question who's coming in and they talk about a partner do i change that word partner to husband or wife so you know how am i using my language and how am i making sense of people's relationships or partnerships and maybe also exploring what are the privileges that i hold as a therapist because of my orientation and then keeping these awarenesses at the center while working with clients i think the second thing would be that if a client says i am asexual to not jump to looking for cause that is rooted in trauma or pathology or biological dysfunction to stay with that identity and to maybe explore how the person came to that realization and how does that identity work in their life and again to not assume that any problem or distress that they're experiencing is because of that identity i think the other thing i would say that maybe looking for supervision spaces would be really helpful i think for practitioners to be able to have these conversations with each other with a more experienced supervisor where they can engage with reading they can engage with clients and they can take you know these experiences back to those spaces and also to be open to learning from clients so when clients say terms that we may not know about instead of maybe pretending that we know to maybe pause the conversation and ask for help or to jot down what those terms mean and do the work or the labor of going and figuring it out i think these are a couple of things that are coming to my mind right now thank you for sharing that swarnima according to you how can community spaces support non normative bodies specifically asexual bodies how important do you think it is for the mental health community to facilitate such community spaces i think for mental health professionals to facilitate these spaces can be tricky because depending on where we practice a lot of us are located in private practice where we do not have a lot of visibility or access to communities that we maybe you know live around or work around and at the same time i think having these kind of conversations in school spaces college spaces can be very helpful because counselors do have access to these spaces so when maybe talking about gender sexuality or puberty or changing bodies in school to also maybe introduce the category of orientations and identities similarly in college the other thing is because as therapists we have a lot of privilege of hearing people's stories to also maybe be able to facilitate dialogue between clients like i mentioned documentation through maybe letter writing 
or asking questions that somebody who's recently come to terms with an asexual identity would they benefit from asking questions to somebody who's lived with that identity for more years would they have you know could i facilitate that communication or dialogue yeah so these are all the questions that i have for you however i do wish to ask you how do you wish to grow in your own practice and whether you are providing supervision for mental health professionals who are new entrants to the field i think i'm in a very lucky position i think right now because i get to teach and do research and supervise and practice all at the same time so i think it really gives me many angles through which to look at therapy whether it's you know reading a research article whether it's being informed by the kinds of questions that students are asking or the kinds of questions clients are bringing in or other mental health professionals are grappling with i think all of these conversations and questions really inform my own practice and i think taking a stance of learning and not knowing everything is really important so keep reading and i hope to engage with all my clients better whether it's through doing more courses or doing more reading work or you know participating in more conversations like these because i think your questions have also really helped me take a step back from my own practice saransh and to be able to be more mindful and reflective about what i'm doing and why i don't know if that sort of answers your question no no of course it definitely does and we wish you all the best in your future endeavors if you have to give certain advice to persons who are conflicted about their bodies especially the ones who might identify as asexuals what advice would you give them with respect to mental health services i think the first thing that i might say is ask a therapist if they have experience in working with this with whatever question you might have or issue that you might be grappling with ask them if they don't have experience are they open to talking to you about it or what their position on this topic might be i think that would really help establish whether this is a safe person to talk to and maybe if you experienced your therapist as empathetic and helpful in all other respects but when it comes to sexuality if you experience them as maybe judgmental or pathologizing or critical it's important to advocate for yourself and ask for something better or to share feedback that this is not helping you a lot of times clients don't speak up because they feel that this person has been really there for me and empathetic in all other ways i would sort of advise you to yeah maybe advocate for yourself in that space and see is a therapist somebody who's willing to learn from you so if you give them critical feedback or if you're giving your therapist feedback about you know that you felt hurt or you didn't feel respected or this was an unsafe conversation for you is your therapist willing to enter that space with you and take that feedback and are they willing to work with that feedback great advice sonima I again thank you for taking time out and answering these questions for us. It was a very very enlightening discussion for me. I hope that it had been quite an experience for you as well. 
Thank you so much, Saranish. It was a pleasure having this conversation. Again, I feel really glad that these kinds of conversations are happening and that there is a community of people who would be interested in content like this. I think it's you know high time we had these conversations. I do think so as well. Thank you.